0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Welcome to the Evolver, sponsored by The Alchemist Kitchen, hosted by Ken Jordan. It's striking that at this moment, when humanity has accomplished so much in the field of medicine, we have so little understanding about chemical dependence on substances like opiates, alcohol, and cocaine, and how to heal it. Our healthcare system is great at fixing mechanical problems, like reattaching dismembered limbs, transplanting organs, or removing unwelcome growths through surgery. The more your health issue resembles a broken auto part, and the more your doctor can work on you like a genius car mechanic, the more likely our medical system has a cure for you. Opiate addiction is the kind of health issue that our society has a particularly hard time dealing with. An addict's need for opiates is not only physiological. There's a psychospiritual piece to addiction that the medical establishment simply fails to acknowledge. By the way, there may well be a psychospiritual aspect to all physical illness, But don't expect the AMA to even consider having a public discussion about that possibility. The materialist assumptions that are drilled into doctors from freshman year in med school leave no space for it. But a growing number of healthcare professionals who work closely with addicts are recognizing how poorly we treat addiction. And they're seeking effective alternatives. Dr. Gabor Mate in Vancouver has gotten a good deal of deserved attention for his advocacy of ayahuasca ceremonies to help addicts in the thrall of withdrawal. And a global network of addiction treatment centers are using the Gabonese psychedelic plant Iboga. They've been popping up over the past decade. In plant medicine circles, Iboga is known for being the most intense and physically demanding of entheogens. The trip lasts 36 hours, most of which you spend flat on your back. The visions are legendarily intense. You get confronted with deep shadow material that demands to be worked through. For the Bwiti tribe, the indigenous people of Gabon who have been working with Iboga for millennia, the ceremony is an intense rite of passage. It was only in the 1960s that Iboga's profound effectiveness to treat opiate addiction was discovered. As my guests on today's episode discuss, what emerged is that Iboga— and its core chemical component, ibogaine, has a remarkably high success rate with opiate addicts. It's so successful that despite the legal issues, remember that iboga is a Schedule I substance in the United States, which makes possession against the law, many alternative health professionals and former addicts offer ibogaine treatment at centers in Mexico, Central and South America, and at underground locations in Europe and the United States. This rise of Ibogaine treatment comes against the backdrop of an opioid abuse epidemic. According to a recent New York Times article, as many as 4 million Americans now deal with an opiate addiction problem. In 2017, some 50,000 people died from overdoses. More people need to know about Ibogaine. That's the mission behind Lakshmi Narayan's campaign, Iboga Saves, which includes a movie, and a public education effort to help addicts find care. Lakshmi invited some of the experts she's working with to join us for a conversation about what ibogaine treatment is like, how it works and where it's heading. Has been popping up over the past decade. With us today are Deanne Adamson, the founder and president of Being True to You, which is pioneering a transformational recovery model using Ibogaine, and Anselin Ryan, who is a Being True to You certified recovery coach. Also with us is Trevor Millar, who has been an Ibogaine provider in Vancouver and is chairman of the board of MAPS Canada. And Eric Thierman, the film director who is making the Iboga Saves documentary. Conventional wisdom might say that taking one drug To overcome dependence on another drug is wrong-headed or, at best, a form of cheating. But treating opiates and entheogens as two equivalent agents may turn out to be totally inappropriate. In this conversation, you'll hear the experienced experts say why they believe that taking a psychedelic might be the best option an addict has. Because at the root of every addiction is a deep wound that demands to be healed. And plant-spirit medicines are profound healing agents from nature that enable us to listen closely to the most sensitive and vulnerable parts of ourselves. Everyone seems to be talking about CBD these days. That is, cannabidiol, the non-psychoactive component of cannabis. The buzz is that CBD doesn't make you high, like THC does. But for conditions such as stress and anxiety, health professionals are increasingly recommending it as an alternative to pharmaceuticals. And scientific research is showing that CBD is highly anti-inflammatory, so it can help with pain relief. What does the scientific research say about CBD? Research centers in the United States and elsewhere are studying the effects of CBD on a variety of ailments. Scientists refer to CBD as a promiscuous compound because it offers therapeutic benefits in many different ways while tapping into how we function physiologically and biologically on a deep level. Extensive preclinical research and some clinical studies have shown that CBD has strong antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, antidepressant, antipsychotic, and neuroprotective qualities. What's the best way to take CBD? CBD CBD-rich cannabis oil products can be taken sublingually, orally, as edibles, lozenges, beverages, tinctures, and gel caps, or applied topically. Concentrated cannabis oil extracts can also be heated and inhaled with a vape pen. Inhalation is good for treating acute symptoms that require immediate attention. The effects can be felt within a minute or two and typically last for a couple of hours. The effects of orally administered CBD-rich cannabis oil can last for four hours or more, but the onset of effects is much slower, like 30 to 90 minutes, than inhalation. Evolver is the proud papa of the Alchemist kitchen a botanical dispensary located in the Bowery District of New York, where you can find the finest quality CBD products available without THC. We also make our own premium CBD under the Plant Alchemy label. Our producer Jose's mom uses it for stress, anxiety, and high blood pressure. Our plants are grown in both field and greenhouse environments cultivated using living soil organic principles, leveraging strictly organic inputs, and in full compliance with the controls defined by the Colorado Department of Agriculture. Our plants are some of the highest CBD cannabis varieties currently known. You can find out more about CBD by visiting the Alchemist Kitchen website at thealchemistskitchen.com, there's an S in there, and searching for CBD. There are articles on the blog, an FAQ, and a selection of vetted products. Or stop by our spot at 21 East 1st Street in Manhattan between Bowery and 2nd Avenue and talk to one of our staff herbalists. At the shop, tell them you listen to the Evolver podcast and receive a 10% discount on any product on the shelves. Anselin, let's start with you. You came to know about Iboga. Through your own addiction issues, through your own addiction therapy process, how did you first hear about it?
2: I was just in a place where I was living in Mexico and I had been in addiction off and on for 20 years. And I was in a place where I was either going to lose my life, possibly, or or my family. And I researched. I knew I didn't want to go to rehab in the States. Which was a suggestion? So I re- researched Mexico rehabs, and this ibogaine treatment popped up, and that's where I first started reading about it. I, I was blown away.
1: What did it? S- you found it on the internet, I guess.
2: I did. Yeah, I just I googled Mexico rehabs, and it popped up this ibogaine treatment, and I was like, wait, you, you can take a plant and get rid of your, you know, of your withdrawals? What is this magic?
1: What else did it say on that? Post. I'm wondering, when you read about it, did it say that this is a process that takes 36 hours, that it's a psychedelic, that it actually, you know, can be quite dangerous? I mean, what did you hear And when you read that? What resonated for you?
2: You know, to be honest, I'm not sure of all the details, but what resonated was, and I, 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 can, I think I can speak for myself, but other peop- uh, other people struggling with chemical dependencies is the withdrawals. And that was the big thing for me is what, no withdrawals. So that I, the rest of the stuff I really didn't care about that much. I mean, it seemed pretty miraculous, but no withdrawals was huge.
1: So you reached out to them and arranged for a session. How did that actually, how did that happen?
2: I did. I, I just started researching it, everything I could find on it. And then I reached out to quite a few different treatment centers and found, um, I, I quickly found out that I wanted to go to aftercare because I found that that was going to be very important. So I found a place that was a little less expensive um, with no frills after doing the research and, and chose that.
1: And where was that?
2: That was in uh, Tijuana, Las Plaitas, Mexico.
1: Can you talk a little bit about that experience?
2: You know, uh, and I would just say it was three years ago. This week uh, I was at my aftercare, so I'm I'm super grateful to be here now. And it was it was scary, and I had no idea. I I was pretty jaded, you know, after 20 years of addiction of that this was going to be able to help me. And I was going to Tijuana's, to you know. this I had no idea what was I I hadn't really taken many psychedelics. I really didn't have the preparation. I now know is so important. So, you know, I just went there and um, it's so much. I don't even know how to go into it or what you're looking for exactly.
1: Well, okay. So to begin with, were you going through withdrawal at that time?
2: You know, they keep you pretty comfortable. So you just start feeling a little uncomfortable for a little period, a, a short period of time. It's very manageable. I used, it was Ibogaine, which is different from the root of Iboga. So I had the Ibogaine treatment, which is really, in my opinion, and from my research, the best thing for detox for, for detoxing, the Iboga is more for a psychospiritual journey. That's just in my experience and my knowledge. So I had an Ibogaine treatment the next day with a very experienced provider. And, and my experience was very different than others. You know, I sat up through the night and talked with my provider uh, and it was a very beautiful and magical experiences at times and very difficult at at times, but I came out on the other end out of withdrawal and feeling very hopeful for the future and um, in a a very, this place of understanding that we're all connected.
1: Did you get a read into your own addiction? Did you understand it better? This, what was it that came up during the ceremony or during the the experience that really made such a big difference for you?
2: Well, honestly, I relapsed after that um, abigail treatment. It, it, it wasn't it wasn't like that. It wasn't this magic bullet. It there were some insights, and really, actually, it opened me up to the state of the world, which actually I had a lot of fear after that. So, I think the important thing here is that. I didn't have the support I needed to even know what I was going through. I didn't really have the integration that I needed, the preparation. So after I did it the second time, then I was really able to dig into that a little deeper and get to the root. But for me, the the ibogaine didn't give me that. The ibogaine gave me time to start learning how to heal my nervous system. And dealing with the trauma that I was in and the fight or flight that I was constantly in. So it's, it's, it's like a, a, a fast pass, it seems like, to get you into that place where the real healing then begins.
1: So you had tried other modalities before. You tried to quit in different ways before that.
2: Yes, I did. Many different times. And I had successfully quit for, for periods of time. So I was an Ivy hu- Ivy heroin user for three years. I, I got myself off of that. I was always, uh, could successfully get myself off drugs, but I could not sustain that because I wasn't getting to the root.
1: And so the Ibogaine treatment, I guess you went back a second time, uh, a sh- short time later, many months later? Yes,
2: within six months. I, I, I relapsed for about three months and realized I did not want to do that again. I didn't want to live like that in the, again. Anymore.
1: So, what was it that made you want to go back after the first treatment? If the first treatment may have helped some, but really didn't keep you off the opiates. I have
2: a, I had a son, a two-year-old son. I have one that I have now, of course, and I wasn't ready to give up, you know. And it, it I, knew, I saw that it had worked the first time. I just didn't know. I didn't have the support afterwards to know how to sustain my recovery.
1: And then how did you find the support the second time? Did you go back to the same place or did you go to a different place?
2: I went to the same place, but after that, I not too long after that, I realized I wanted to start my own aftercare. So I was like, okay, how do I do that? Oh, okay, I can become a recovery coach. So I found Being True to You Recovery Coaching and signed up for the course. And then got myself a coach, because I realized very quickly, this is something that I need and became a big part of it. It was a community. And, and so it was all of that. It was other plant medicines. It was research, scientific knowledge about what my body was actually going to. It was so, so I, all the support came from that, all the knowledge, the research, the community of being true to you, all of that.
1: Right. So then the ibogaine treatment in itself really was not a silver bullet for you. It was not the, an overnight shift that gave you everything you needed in order to walk away completely clean. That you still needed more context, an integration process, therapeutic support. Is that fair?
2: Yes, very fair. And physical, too. I, I, I think that gets forgotten sometimes, you know, the healing of the gut and of the nervous system. So it was so much more, I I am so grateful to Ibogaine. Three years later, I am joyfully in recovery, but three years later with a lot of work. It was not a silver bullet at all, but amazing tool, it has given me so much.
1: Deanne, Being True to You is your program, which you developed. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of integration as part of the Ibogaine therapeutic process?
0: Yeah, happy to. And thanks for having us on, Ken. It's an important subject. I found Ibogaine, let's see, seven, eight years ago. I was initially a counselor and felt unfulfilled. I started a coaching business, and right away I met the Ibogaine community. And I too had thought psychedelics were a thing of the past. I wasn't currently in the realm of psychedelics or thinking about them as medicines. So I was very curious. I visited Mexico. And visited a clinic and watched people go through the treatment and started talking to them. And what I saw very quickly in those first few weeks was that, wow, this is a very powerful plant medicine that definitely works. Um, It's just that we have to understand the nature of the medicine and, and how it works with us and how to work in partnership with it. So over the last eight years, Our company has largely become an addiction recovery and psychospiritual and psychedelic integration company to serve people going through medicines like Ibogaine and Iboga to maximize the transformational experience. Because what we see is that they are working on a biophysiological level, and they are working on a psychospiritual level, and they do, like Ibogaine in particular, Iboga, Uh, gives you this window of opportunity for up to 90 days afterward to change mental, emotional, physical, lifestyle, social, environmental patterns. It is more of an interrupter than it is a cure. And understanding the nature of how the medicine works, the deep cleansing that it does do in the neural pathways and also in the gut, and then the psycho-spiritual experience that it provides, to help somebody get that meta view on their life and their own psychology to understand how did I get in this position? What is the core of my addiction? Where does that pain reside? And how do I tap into that? And how do I heal that? So what we've realized in our time working with Ibogaine, providing before and after care is the importance of preparation and integration. And you ask about integration Integration begins before the experience. People are starting to realize the importance of integration, but not realizing yet that it needs to start beforehand. You want to lay that foundation and start to incubate that conversation with the true self.
1: So, what do you mm-hmm. do before the ceremony? Before, do, you, do you call it a ceremony in this context when you're using ibogaine for addiction yeah. therapy? Okay, yeah. so it's a, it's a ceremony in the same way or in a similar way that a curandero or a roadman or somebody might lead a psychedelic plant spiritual ceremony, but it's a different context, mm-hmm. right? It's a somewhat different. Wait. It's, it's, no?
2: Well, I I, I, think, I mean, I would just say, I mean, the treatment I received was not like that at all. It was a treatment, you know, like it was, and some, many others that I've seen it more, you know, medicinal treatment, like not so much of the shaman type ceremony.
1: How would you describe the difference?
2: Well, when I'm in a ceremony with ayahuasca with a shaman and music and, you know, it's very different than when I was just taking the Ibogaine and then laying down, there, there was music, but laying down in my own journey with a heart monitor on and an IV and, you know, it felt very different to me what, from what I now know as a ceremony.
1: So you, that was actually, it's a more medical kind of environment mm-hmm. where you've got some like nurses there effectively who are keeping tabs on you, you've got an IV in, they're like keeping track of your heartbeat, heart rate. Is it like that?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, to, you know, to me, a ceremony is where you bring in the intention. You sit beforehand, you sit in front of the fire And you you speak to yourself, you speak to the fire, to the spirit of the medicine about what it is that you want to transform, what it is that you want to let go of, and why the experience is important to you. But what is different is exactly as Anselin is saying, is that with Ibogaine, because it has such a strong cardiac response, and because people's bodies are going to be more fragile because of the long-term addiction there is a medical treatment component to it. So yes, there are doctors present and there is uh, medical monitors that will be hooked up to the heart so that they can monitor the whole experience. But to me, it's still a ceremonial experience. It's just not a shamanistic ceremonial experience per se when done in the medical environment.
1: So the intention is ceremonial, but I mean, I wouldn't mind if you could go a little bit more into why it's important for somebody who's recovering from an opiate addiction to be on an IV and have their heart rate monitored. Is there a real danger of something medically dangerous happening during that treatment process?
0: Well, I could answer that, but Trevor, since you're the expert on the line, you could probably jump in on that one.
3: Sure, for sure. Well, there's one of the major concerns with iboga and ibogaine are cardiotoxicity issues. So, you know, ibogaine is the the one psychedelic that is potentially dangerous. What happens with it is it prolongs the QT interval of your heart rate. So when you do an ECG, look at your heart rate, there is one line, one little blip that is the QT interval, which basically signals indicates the space in between heartbeats. So ibogaine always prolongs the QT interval. The trick is you don't want to prolong the QT interval of an already prolonged heart. So there's a lot of other drugs like methadone, for example, which prolongs the QT interval as well. So this is why we get ECGs done on all our clients before they come in. Check out the QT interval. If the QT interval is too long upon arrival, then you don't want to dump a whole bunch of ibogaine on top of that. So this is one of the reasons why it's really important to go to an experienced provider because you know these these are very important things to consider.
1: Right. You don't just want to get some ibogaine and sit alone by yourself in your apartment and try to rough it out.
3: No, I was asked that question the other day. <laughs> it comes up quite often, but you know I've done about two hundred treatments, and it blows my mind how different every treatment can be like people just react in ways that you cannot predict to this medicine so you don't want to be alone by yourself or even with somebody that's sitting for you that that isn't used to this kind of thing happening where the pros know how to handle and hold space for these potentially you know Interesting things that can come up during an Iboga treatment. So it's, you know, and, you know, it, working with Iboga for a long time, you you get to learn things like maybe at around that 12, 13 hour mark, it looks like withdrawals are coming back in. And you can pre warn somebody that that might happen and you have to kind of sit through that. But if you were doing that at home alone, you're, you're 13, 14 hours in, you feel withdrawals come in. You're like, oh, shoot, I need to take some dope. But not knowing that you're actually opiate naive at that point and you could easily overdose. So there's just so many things that can go sideways with an Iboga treatment. You really need to be in a good space when you do it with somebody that knows what they're doing.
1: Yeah. When somebody, the the folks I know who have done Iboga in a traditional shamanic context have reported that it's about a 36 hour experience. Is that the same with Ibogaine?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's about the ballpark there. Is, uh, the the first 12 hours are kind of where all the bells and whistles are. The most kind of psychedelic aspects of the journey might happen within that first 12-hour window. And for the next 24 hours or so, it's I, I warn my clients before we get started that the thing with iboga that's is most hard, I think, a lot of times, is you are going to be more tired than you have ever been in your life, but you're not going to be able to fall asleep. And that's often kind of the theme of at least that last 12 hours for sure. But then eventually people do get some sleep and they kind of come through feeling Quite well out the other end. We might still need to do some booster doses to tamp out any residual withdrawals, but for the most part, the job's done at that point.
1: And what's the actual difference between iboga and ibogaine? How would you describe the difference?
3: There's three primary ways of consuming iboga there's the root bark itself. So if you were in Africa and were going to get initiated into the Bweedy tradition, you would consume the root bark itself. It's the second layer of root bark from the Tabernanthi iboga shrub. And then you can take that root bark and you can refine it once using a mild acidic solution like vinegar. And you're left with a brown powder at that point, And that's called iboga TA or total alkaloid. So I've heard there's anywhere from 20 to 50 additional alkaloids within the iboga plant besides just ibogaine. So all of those are included in that brown powder. And that's That's very effective to work with as well. I like to try and work with some of that total alkaloid as well as the HCl. So you can take that total alkaloid, refine it one more time using a hydrochloric acid solution, and from there you're left with just the ibogaine molecule which, as has been said, is seems to be very good at cutting through that addiction. So when I'm working with the medicine, I, I tend to use both that total alkaloid as well as the HCL. Okay.
1: And can we synthesize the ibogaine molecule in the lab without actually working from the plant?
3: I have heard that we can. There's Actually, I just saw something come up on my Facebook feed. Somebody was speaking at an ibogaine conference in Porto last week that did a presentation on that, so I'll check that out. But I have heard that is possible. The other Thing that's possible is uh, ibogaine is found within the Volkanga africana plant so there are sustainability issues around the iboga shrub itself so if we can get ibogaine from other sources that's great one of the ways to do that is through this Volkanga africana plant where you can you pull out Volkangamine, which you can then turn into ibogaine but i have heard that there is a new way to completely synthesize it as well but i need to do more research so don't take my word on it
1: Deanne, you mentioned that there was ninety days after the treatment where the patient is in a position to have powerful things happen. Where do we come up with that ninety-day window? What is that based on?
0: Well, for me, it's based on working with clients and just observing them. I think there's science behind it too. My understanding is that when you ingest ibogaine, it turns into a protein called noribogaine, which is fat soluble and will lodge itself or store itself in the fat cells of the body, and then it acts as a slow release. So of course, it depends on a person's uh, body fat content to how long it stays in the body. What I've noticed in working with people that have really low body content let's say a female coming in with um, anorexia or something like that is that their withdrawal symptoms might be a little bit, might come on a little bit more or faster than someone else or the experience seems to wear off a little bit faster versus someone that has like average or above average body fat content. So it actually does store itself in the body and act as a slow release is our understanding And then just monitoring people, you can see that a lot of times people talk about being on the pink cloud coming out of Ibogaine. The challenge with Ibogaine is it works so well for most people that they feel like the work is completed. I mean, people will come out and say, I have no withdrawal. I have no mental cravings. I'm done. I'm free. They feel so liberated that they'll go home and not take the changes seriously and so one of our jobs as integrative coaches is to talk about that window of opportunity and getting a jump start and taking it very seriously just because you feel good and liberated for the first 30 days doesn't mean that some of those other symptoms might not start creeping in after the medicine wears off.
1: The pink cloud, where does that come from?
0: Well, you know, the medicine has this tendency to elevate mood and increase neural connections in the brain and clean out the digestive tract. So when a person comes out, they just feel lighter, they feel happier. Uh, Anxiety and pain has reduced sometimes 50% to 90%. It's incredible. And just when you feel that heavy, heavy weight, whether it's traumas or various burdens or overwhelm or just the confusion, the fear, there's so much that people are carrying through addiction. And Through the 12-hour experience that Trevor's talking about, there's a lot of cleansing and healing and mending and forgiveness and releasing that's happening in that experience. So when people come out, they just feel like themselves again. They feel in alignment, mind, body, and spiritually, they feel clean and clear and light. And because of that, they feel driven and motivated Um, often. Now, you know, I do think that ibogaine leaves homework for individuals. And so it's not always perfect. But in a lot of the cases, people are feeling really good. So the pink cloud effect is just something you notice when you work with people through ibogaine is this drastic 180 that they've taken in their mood and energy.
1: Anselin, when you went through that first experience, did you find that you felt you were done? Did you get that sense that, oh, I've I I got everything I needed. Now I'm going to be I'm going to be in a good place. I don't need to do any additional work.
2: Not sure exactly that, but I, I felt really good. I felt really excited, and I, I was going to say that's what we do here. Uh, we have an aftercare center here in La Paz, Mexico. Now, and it's after going through all this and like what Deanne is talking about, we provide this space so that we can talk about all this, so that people have this space to go through that, but then to the point where, okay, wait, what are we gonna do when the note that what Deanne was speaking about comes out of our system? Like, how do we integrate this into our everyday lives, which is what I didn't know how to do.
1: Well, do you find that you need to do a lot of convincing sometimes for folks, that they they feel like they're kind of over it after that first experience and they don't realize what's ahead?
2: I find that Yes, that does happen. And a lot of people, or I will say some people have to go through it again like I did. But usually the people that we have here, they they realize the importance of it. Um, We we make sure we're really not going to work with people unless they're fully committed and kind of have the big picture. And I would say it's more about
0: education than convincing. I mean, the more that somebody understands, again, the nature of the medicine and how it works and how it alleviates pain and helps you to heal and helps you to identify all of those blocks and fears and patterns that are perpetuating the addiction and how it can loosen that up and create some breathing room inside the body to begin that process of healing. But it's not going to do the work for you. It just opens that door for you. So I would say it's more about education. And again, this speaks to the importance of preparation, because after the experience, if there is some mild residual withdrawal, or if there is uh, the memory of using is not erased, right? So people remember that So even if they're not in withdrawal, just the boredom factor, and not knowing what else to do, how to fill that void, they may turn back. But if they know ahead of time what they're getting themselves into, and what it means to do the work, because we talk about integration all the time. But if you ask somebody, what does it mean to integrate, you're not going to get a very deep answer. It might be something very surface or shallow that they've tried before. So I would say it's education more than convincing.
3: And I like what Deanne said earlier that integration really starts before you give them the medicine. Like I try and warn my clients, you know, look, as an opioid addict in this world how much time have you spent thinking about opioids within the last five or so years you know probably 80 to 90 percent of mental energy is spent thinking about how that next fix is going to come in this world of prohibition so what happens if all of a sudden that's taken away from you What are you going to fill that blank space with? Like this needs to be considered. What kind of new empowering thoughts are you going to put in there? Because while habits are a wonderful way to destroy a life, really good habits are a wonderful way to create a life as well. So what kind of empowering habits can we think about that we're going to put in there to kind of replace these destructive ones that we're going to help remove for you?
2: Trevor I really love that because that is so true and that's exactly what we're focusing on like what do we do with that time I mean I've, I've been there so that's exactly I resonate with that
1: Trevor when did the first medically based ibogaine treatments get founded how far back does this go?
3: So it's, the medicine's been used ceremonially for centuries or millennia in Africa. And in 1962, somebody who was addicted to heroin by the name of Howard Lotsoff in New York City, his uh, chemist buddy knew that he was open to trying pretty much anything and said, here, why don't you try this ibogaine stuff? So I've heard the story. He was on his way to his psychologist and spent more time on his psychologist's couch than he was planning on. But he came out the other end of this journey and he said, wait a second, I haven't wanted heroin the whole time I've been on this, nor do I want it now. So that's really when it's anti-addictive properties were discovered. And thankfully, Just,
1: he had a friend, Howard Lotsoff had a friend who had ibogaine that was the synthesized molecule or it was a, uh,
3: I don't know if it was synthesized or,
4: or how, or, or, I, yeah.
3: how he got his hands on it. But yeah, the story, his wife, Norma told that I heard was that, yeah, his chemist buddy somehow had ibogaine, knew that Howard was open to trying things and said, here, give this a go. And he did. you know Thankfully, Howard was a very industrious guy and he went and knocked on every door he could get somebody to listen to him and say, look, I think I've effectively discovered a cure for heroin addiction. We need to take a look at this. And then thankfully, some doctors eventually did. Dr. Ken Alper... Um, was one of the doctors early on. He's published a lot of papers around this now. But they also, Howard, formed the Global Ibogaine Therapy Alliance and put together some standards of care. So, you know, that that would have been a long process from kind of the, the mid-60s through until, you know, just now. P- people still don't know about Ibogaine. <laughs> so,
1: what first drew you to Ibogaine?
3: So I... I got into this world in a in an interesting way. Post 9-11, I was kind of depressed, frustrated, and I realized that the media was turning me into a passive yet obsessive observer of all that was wrong in the world. So I decided to go on a media fast for a few years and at the same time look at different ways that I might be able to give back, and Vancouver has a neighborhood called the downtown east side which is called the poorest postal code in canada because it is actually technically the poorest postal code in canada and there is a a large drug problem there but i just kind of naively naively looked at different ways that i might be able to help out that neighborhood which essentially turned into about a 10-year research project and in 2009 ibogaine came on the radar as a way to potentially help so that uh I didn't immediately start working with it, but a few years later, at the Global Ibogaine Therapy Alliance conference that was here in Vancouver, I met the guy who became my business partner, who had apprenticed with people in Mexico on how to give the medicine. There was obviously a need here in town, so we started Liberty Root in 2013. And at the same time, because Liberty Root was formed to try and help this downtown eastside neighborhood... We also give back to that neighborhood. But this is where integration becomes really important. You don't just want to kind of pluck somebody out of this neighborhood, give them medicine, and then drop them back in. So when we talk about integration coming before the journey, that's very important in this in this realm, in this neighborhood especially. So what we did is pe- a group of people met with us once a week for about 90 days leading into the potential to do medicine. And then we did eventually treat somebody. Um, We've treated a few people since, but this pilot, (laughs) it came off particularly well. So he was very open to listening, reading any books that I suggested he read. So one of the problems in this poor neighborhood is that poverty mindset. So I was really trying to help him overcome that poverty mindset as well, which he was very open to. Long story short, he ended up needing a couple of treatments. He is now more than than a couple of years off of the substances he came to me to get off of. And the cool thing is he came uh, a few months ago and said, Trevor, I've got $5,000 I want to invest in something. Can I get some investment advice? So that kind of worked full circle. And then, you know, another component of this story is obviously I'm kind of friendly to the psychedelic world. I used to live with a woman who owned the original urban shaman here in town. So I did know about Iboga kind of a a decade or more ago, but it just recently in 2009 came on the radar as a way to potentially help this neighborhood. So Liberty Root kind of grew out of that.
2: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: What's the legal situation in Canada? I mean, I know my understanding is in the United States that iboga and ibogaine are both schedule 1 substances. And so you're in a pretty dicey legal situation if you are working with them, even in these therapeutic contexts.
3: For the, for the last many years, ibogaine was listed as a natural health product in Canada, which natural health products are generally available over the counter and shouldn't be potentially dangerous. That was the framework that I was working with it in, in May of last year, Health Canada put Ibogaine on the prescription drug list. And this was a good move because, as I said, a natural health product shouldn't be potentially dangerous. So they had a decision to make. They could have outlawed it, as, it, as is done in the States. but And I like to think it's because of some of the interactions I had with Health Canada, which, which were all very positive rather than outlawing it, they put it on the prescription drug list. So this doesn't mean it's immediately available as a prescription drug. It still needs to go through phase one, two, and three clinical trials to make that happen, which is you know, tens of years and tens of millions of dollars. This is one of the reasons I'm excited to be working so closely with MAPS and MAPS Canada now. Rick Doblin and MAPS out of the U.S., would like $2 million to get a phase one slash phase two safety study going for FDA approval. So that's that. I haven't been working with Ibogaine within Canada for the last year or so because of that regulatory change. But another avenue that we've got, which I've got meeting a meeting with two doctors on Friday actually to move this forward, is Canada has something called the Special Access Drug Program, which is set up for people who are number one in life or death situations, and they've tried everything else available for their ailment, and they want to try something that's not typically available. So I think Donald Trump just launched something like this in the States as well, with the Right to Try Program. I think that's a good angle down there to try and get use of Ibogaine. But up here, that's the angle I'm playing. So hopefully within the next month, knock on wood, we expect to get permission from Health Canada to hopefully use Ibogaine moving forward again here.
1: So before it was a prescription drug, you could could find Ibogaine however you found it and offer it to someone who needed it in a therapeutic context. But I'm assuming that once it became a prescription, Once the law changed, that access was pulled back, right?
3: That's right. In a nutshell, that's it.
1: Yeah. In Mexico, though, the law is still supportive. Is that correct?
3: I don't know the law in Mexico, but I just think that it is not prohibited. It's not that it's specifically allowed. It's just not prohibited, is my understanding. But I could
1: be wrong there.
2: No, that's correct.
1: Yeah. Do you recommend when you meet people in Canada, for instance, who need some help? That they go to Mexico. I mean, how would if somebody is listening to this broadcast and they want to and they they want to try this? They feel that they've got a serious problem and they are now curious to pursue ibogaine as a treatment. What would be the first step for them?
3: I think Lakshmi on her website has a list of. you know, fairly reputable providers through the Iboga Saves website, that would be a good place to start. Yeah, there are definitely some providers in Mexico that I would recommend personally. There's a provider in the Bahamas that I would recommend. And hopefully we're back up and running here in Canada fairly soon as well.
1: Lakshmi, thank you for being so patient as we plumbed the depths of this topic with the other three guests. Um, I'm really glad to have you on and really appreciate you organizing this for us. Uh, how did you first get interested in Iboga? What was it that called you to this topic?
5: Thanks for having me Ken. I'm really excited to do this show and uh, well I've been um I've been a psychonaut for over 20 years and I'm also a designer and a media person and I decided to uh, devote my a lot of my time to to forwarding the psychedelic cause in media. So I worked on things for MAPS and the Psychedelic Science Conference. And I was referred to Crossroads Ibogaine by MAPS and in 2015, and that was when it came into my life. And I worked with Martine Polanco to rebrand the Map, the Crossroads website. And that's how I met Deanne at Being True to You. And through, through Crossroads, my involvement with Crossroads and Deanne and Being True to You, I learned a lot about Ibogaine for addiction and integration and what's missing
1: so, can you tell me a little bit about Crossroads? What is Crossroads?
5: So, Crossroads Ibogaine, uh was a clinic that was located in Tijuana and was run by, it was founded by Dr. Martin Polanco. They've been treating patients for seven or eight years. It was recently uh, shut down a couple of years ago and moved to the Bahamas and worked with another clinic there. But now, from what I understand, Anna, is that Martin is uh, creating a research initiative. Uh, on existing and personal research, uh, research, done, private research, I should say, about Martin Martine offered, invited me to do the iberger Psychospiritual Weekend journey. And so I decided to do it, to try it. And what happened for me was that um, I was diagnosed with uh, with diabetes 2 just through the blood tests that they do right before the Ibogaine experience. And so I went into it just having heard that I I was diabetic, my father died of diabetic neuropathy, so my whole Iberga Iberga journey was a deep look into the roots of my disease, the mental and psycho and physical roots and spiritual roots of it, plus a lot of other things. It was just like blew my mind. The journey itself is something that I'm still processing uh, three years down the line. But what happened when I came out of it was my addiction to sugar was gone And during that three-month window that Deanne talked about, I was able to completely reverse diabetes too, and I lost 30 pounds. And the mental clarity and focus that I've received since then is just profound. So that's what got me interested in it.
1: You touch on something which I think is so important, and you're all coming at it from different angles, but essentially all saying the same thing, is that disease, whatever kind of physical disease we might, be experiencing is connected one way or another to our psychology, to our understanding of ourself, to our community, to how we connect to others. That you, it's difficult to separate out diseases, the physical manifestations, from something that goes deeper in us that has to do with our understanding of ourself. And that may have something to do with the power of ibugain treatments to help people clear what it is that they're carrying that has a a disease-like aspect to it.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to mention, I'll just say really quickly, that people come in to to get out of opiate addiction, but what we're seeing is an all-around mind-body-spiritual tune-up. People that come in for chronic pain, for instance, are discovering once they get the opiate addiction out of the way that their pain is not nearly what they thought it was. So we're seeing a reduction in pain, a reduction in inflammation. We're just seeing the body en- enhance its own immunity an ability to heal itself. So, I mean, I've seen so many issues coming in, whether it's insomnia, various kinds of mental and substance addictions, process addictions, eating disorders, depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsiveness, uh, sexual addiction. I mean, the whole gamut of psychological challenges that people are going through, we're seeing that there is a reduction of symptoms and an ease around the whole thing. So it's quite amazing. I'm not going to speak to the science behind it, but just from watching into the thousands of people now go through this experience, it is incredible the healing that people are having on all levels through various diseases.
3: A metaphor that I like that makes a lot of sense, I think, as far as psychedelic psychotherapy in general, maybe ibogaine in particular, but any good psychedelic psychotherapy, I really feel like as we're living life, it's like we see life through a pane of glass. We have this filter. And as our heart gets broken, as we suffer traumas, as things happen— That glass gets dirty and it gets so dirty that we don't even realize it's dirty anymore until you do a good psychedelic psychotherapy session. And I really feel like it's not like these medicines add anything to you at all. It just strips away all the crap. It lets you see through that glass properly again. And once you're functioning at that more optimal level, life just gets easier. Decisions are easier to make. you know, it's, it's easier to not self-sabotage yourself.
1: I'm curious whether you have experience with other forms of psychedelic therapy. And I'm wondering why ibogaine is so particularly effective with addiction. And if other forms of psychedelic therapy, like with psilocybin or with LSD, might also be equally as effective.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And there's loads of studies that indicate that. Iboga is the only thing that touches <laughs> opioid addiction the way that Iboga does. Like, it it really helps people get through withdrawals so they don't have to suffer that horrible pain of withdrawal. So, Iboga is very unique there, which is why I think I see mostly opioid addicts knocking on my door. But, you know, Johns Hopkins just published a study about using psilocybin for smoking cessation, which was very effective. Um, Canada has a, a great history of psychedelic psychotherapy out of Weyburn, Saskatchewan here, where Humphrey Osmond, the guy who coined the term psychedelic, worked out of for many years. And they had a study, they treated LSD, alcoholism with LSD, and they had a more than 50% success rate treating alcoholism for LSD, and or with LSD. In fact, Bill W., who founded... AA, he wanted to add LSD as either step zero or step 13 to help facilitate that spiritual awakening because he himself, the spiritual awakening that created AA was from a belladonna psychedelic experience. So these these medicines have an incredible capability and ability of pressing reset when used
1: properly. Yeah. Do we have any idea what it is about the ibogaine that actually targets the opioid addiction so effectively?
5: Uh, I'm not an expert, but what I've read is that, so Ibogaine is the only entheogen or psychedelic medicine that actually has a physiological component to it as well as the psychological and spiritual. So on the physiological level, something is happening. They still don't know what, what's happening and how it blocks the addiction. So you don't have a physiological addiction anymore when you come out of it. And you have the psychological insights that it gives you. So that's the difference between ibogaine and other things like ayahuasca, which can help with addiction. I, I, I was able to get over smoking tobacco with, with uh, psilocybin years ago, but ibogaine is the only thing that has a clearly measurable physiological affect. Yeah, and I'll add to
0: my understanding You know, that iboga works on 50 different neuroreceptors. And when it goes through the body, Um, in layman's terms, to my understanding, it is scrubbing the toxicity and the corrosion around the, the cells that have a receptor for opiates. So those cells become corroded and can even change shape. The receptor sites can change shape. So even if you're detoxed off of opiates for weeks or months, it can still be hard to feel good because the endogenous chemicals natural to our body cannot penetrate those cells because those cells have changed shape and they have that corrosion around them. Iboga in particular seems to scrub those cells clean and there's reason to believe it's even reshaping the cell and the receptor sites so that our natural chemicals can then penetrate uh, those those receptor sites again.
3: I think that's a really good analysis there. And you know, while more science needs to be done, we're begging for more science to be done all on this medicine. But at the same time, it's a visionary plant medicine. So I've had clients who have been kind of shown on the cellular level what's happening when they take in the opioid and how that's sticking to their cell receptors. And then it kind of showed them what happens when the ibogaine goes in, and it really seems to be cleansing those receptors, making them new again, putting that person into an opiate-naive state as if they'd never had that external opiate. So then, yes, as Deanne said, those endogenous neurotransmitters can work again.
1: Lakshmi, tell us a little bit about the film, Iboga Saves, and where you're at in the process of making it.
5: Iboga Saves is a campaign. It's not just a film. It's a movie and a movement. And our goal is to tell the story about how how Iboga heals and follow patients in their healing process from pre-care to aftercare. And probably follow around a few different clinics in this process so that we can demonstrate why iboga or uh, iboga is an essential part of a the, of the treatment spectrum for addiction. So in addition, we want to look at why ibogaine has remained illegal for 48 years when it's clearly been misclassified. And the reason I see that it's misclassified is because the Schedule One law is basically is for substances that have a high degree of uh, have no medical value and a high potential for recreational abuse. Iboga clearly has medical value, and it cannot be taken in a recreational context because of the cardiac risk and the, the need for clinical oversight. So I would say it's a clear case, case of misclassification. So then I ask the question, why does it remain illegal? Rehab is big business, Pharmaceuticals are big business. It's all big business. There's a lot of money involved in a system that doesn't actually heal you and you have to keep going through it over and over again versus a plant medicine that works in one treatment or two treatments.
1: Well, certainly there's that, but I think there's also more generally in the mainstream of the culture, a fear of a psychedelic experience, that there's a lot of the sort of hangover of the 60s, LSD sort of Tim Leary usage where s- some people really did get hurt and it was done in a very the, the psychedelics were being used in a fairly sloppy way frankly you know from my perspective so many people benefited from that as well and ultimately the society really grew and benefited from that but those who have not had psychedelic experiences themselves are often frightened of the idea of it and the possibility that a psychedelic could be used to cure anything, meets a lot of resistance from people who really are coming from a very different understanding of mental health or even, you know, how you cure addiction. And so there's a question about how do you talk to those people, speak to them in a way where you can uh, help them understand better where the opportunity is here and why something that works on such a profound and even spiritual level might have this kind of physical therapeutic quality to it.
5: Right, it's easy to show rather than tell, but if you talk to talk to an addict or the parent of an addict, they will often say that it's a spiritual crisis. The parents can clearly see it's a spiritual crisis. Or, or an addict going through an Ibogaine experience will say it was a spiritual experience. Uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, who is an addiction expert, and he worked in Vancouver in, in the addiction district for years, And what he says is that he's found that every time childhood trauma is at the root of addiction. And he says he can question someone for three minutes and discover this trauma, even if they say they had a happy childhood. So a lot of us have this trauma, which Deanne refers to as a core wound. And so basically what you have to do is you have to show them how how it heals. And that's why we need to make media about it. But the other point is that After the 60s and the 80s, the ad council spent 11 years and hundreds of thousands of dollars with their ad campaign telling people that psychedelics were bad for you and that this is your brain on drugs. So think about it. It took 11 years of media to embed that, to condition people with that idea. So it's going to take a lot of media on our side to condition people otherwise. And that's the process that we're starting here with our film and our app campaign and a grassroots movement to get people to... Understand that iboga and ibogaine are kind of essential components in our lexicon, and that we would not have perhaps such a big mental health crisis, such a big addiction crisis, if we didn't, if we if we had access to these kinds of medicines. So that's the big message.
2: I was just going to add that I see everything that you guys are speaking of, but as a person coming in with a chemical dependency and not having a lot of experience in psychedelics, and definitely having those, you know, things that LSD, those things were scary, I was able to quickly see that it was life or death, you know, so it doesn't really even matter. I think for a lot of people, I think, yes, getting it out to the general public to understand that, but for people like me who are actually, like, either going to lose their lives or their children... It's not such an insurmountable thing. It's like, okay, you know, I, I can get over these fears to do this. So I, I think probably, I imagine that a lot of people in my position would feel similarly or do.
1: Eric, have you begun to shoot some of the film yet?
4: Yeah, we started shooting back in uh, September, I think. And so we have a n- number of interviews. We, we've put together a short five-minute piece that you can see on Lakshmi's website, awake.net. Or look up iboga saves. It's just a short piece that that gives the some of the basic ideas about iboga and ibo in ibogaine and has some MDs talking about and some people who experienced had experiences. We've begun the process and now we're in the process of raising funds to continue that uh, that discovery, yeah. that journey of filmmaking that filmmaking is all about.
1: Do you look forward to going into a clinic and? capturing the experience of somebody during a treatment process? Do you feel like that's something that's too intimate to, to get on camera? Or is it, how, how do you, as a filmmaker, relate to that work?
4: The process of making movies for me is is really about discovery. So uh, you can go anywhere and have a camera set up and have something completely different happens than you expected. And that'll send you off on a, another tangent or 25 different tangents, none of which you could have expected. I mean, you can, you can write a documentary ahead of time and say, I need all these puzzle pieces to put this documentary together. Um, and there are general subject matters that Lakshmi and, and I have discussed in terms of things that we need to collect in order to provide a comprehensive picture of what this antigen will do for, for the ad- addicted population. But you never know what you're going to find, and, and until you just start moving with with a camera and a microphone and uh, you know a small crew, and you find things that you that will blow your mind time and time again, um, and many times you can go for days without getting anything at all that you would want to put in the, in the documentary, just because it's not there. But it's it's kind of like uh, I heard this story about. The Deep Blue, I think, was uh, BBC production where they were trying to record fish under the ocean, and they, they, they went for 300 days without getting a single thing. And then a diver jumped in one day and, and got 20 minutes of the most miraculous footage that anybody's ever seen uh, under, underwater. So you don't know. It's a discovery process.
1: So Lakshmi, where can people find out more about Iboga Saves as a campaign and how they can follow your progress?
5: Well, you can go to Awake.net on the web or Facebook, and you can follow the campaign there. Or you can go to slash saves and watch a movie there. I'm going to be putting stuff up on Facebook in the next uh, 10 days because we're doing this drive to try to raise as much money as we can by the end of the year. I sort of have a different understanding of the word deadline as I've been working on this project. 179 people are dying a day. And a lot of those people are in a dance with death and they're engaging with this death because they don't see a way out. And so, Ayurveda is a way out. Yeah, that's what I see.
1: Well, thank you very much, all of you for joining us today. Lakshmi, really appreciate the work that you're doing, bringing this important modality to public awareness. And hopefully, it can really be reaching all the people it needs to reach. And not long from now, we'll be talking about addiction, and particularly opioid addiction, from a very different angle, a different awareness, where we can see that there are opportunities for people. This is important work. Um, glad to help get the word out. Thank you.
0: Yeah, Ken, thank you for having thank us. Thank you for having us. A topic. Yes, thank you very much.
1: The novelist William S. Burroughs, who wrote the classic book Naked Lunch, saw heroin addiction as a kind of a metaphor for a society that's addicted to so many different things, to materialism, to power games, to sex and violence, where the addiction drives behavior so deeply and makes us so blind to who we really are capable of being. From his perspective, opiate addiction was criminalized because it's too accurate a mirror of parts of society that we just don't want to see. It's the shadow we prefer not to notice, hoping that it might just go away. And so what our society will offer to an addict is not an opportunity for real healing. It's on the one hand, intense guilt for succumbing to the wounds that so many of us experience on various levels but not all of us are able to withstand. While at the same time, we're giving them a pharmaceutical solution like methadone that only acts as a kind of a band-aid on their wound, on their heart, without actually helping to do the healing that a plant spirit medicine like iboga makes available. You have to wonder what is the real intent in our society regarding addicts do we really want to heal them? Or is there something else in play which denies the opportunity for healing to the people who really need it the most? I want to thank our guests, Lakshmi Narayan, the founder of Awake Media, who's produced the Iboga Saves campaign and is now working on the film. And you can find out more about Iboga Saves at her website, awake.net slash iboga hyphen saves, hyphen campaign. You go to wake.net website, you will find it. And our other guests, Deanne Adamson, Anselin Ryan, Trevor Millar, and Eric Thierman. Thank you all for being with us, and I want to thank you too for joining us and listening in. If you like what we're doing here on The Evolver, please share the episode on social media and tell your friends over tea or an herbal elixir or at your yoga class or on the street outside a cafe with any stranger you happen to bump into and ask them to leave a star rating on itunes for us that would be a really nice thing we'd all appreciate it you can send us notes at the evolver at evolver.net that's dot net you can subscribe to the evolver on itunes google play Acast, or on the podcatcher of your choice Follow us on Instagram at the Evolver Podcast and on Facebook at Evolver Social Movement. I want to thank our producer, Jose Alfaro, and the ACAS team. Our theme music is Measure by Measure by Paul D. Miller, aka DJ Spooky, from his album The Secret Song, and our interstitial music are tracks by The Human Experience, Sunu from the album Soul Visions with Rising Appalachia, and here for a moment on the album Gone Gone Beyond. Go check them out. That's all for now. We'll be back next week.
5: I'm the others. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.